Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, hi there, Super Ninfrendos. It's episode 613 of Nintendo Voice Chat Podcast. I am your host. From the great state of Maine, Seth Macy, I'm joined here by Per Schneider, direct from the office. Hello, yeah, I'm in the uh, Metal Gear Solid facility here. Uh, that's what <laughs> it looks like behind me. Metal Gear? But, um, the studio is occupied. I couldn't come to your seat. <laughs> it does look here. like that. <laughs> um, 
Uh, no, the the uh, the studio is being used for for daily fix or summer of gaming or something. God, well, I got a lot of nerve. Uh, from the Casey Drome, Casey Defridas. Hello, what's up, everyone? Man, Casey has her own drome. Yeah, yeah. You didn't that's know super that? Cool. No, that's really cool. I don't know what and drome means, but I'll just roll with it. I just, I, yeah, I don't either. And it's like <laughs> from a, the Pinball a, Museum <laughs> in sunny Las Vegas, Sam Claiborne yeah right i uh, i'm not in las vegas for the record there but there is a no. pinball museum in las vegas <laughs> it's true i'm just in my what? garage in here humble california right it's just a little miniature version of the a pinball it's your own personal pinball we have a pinball museum in alameda here and uh that's a part of island off of oakland it's really lovely it's called the lucky juju pinball museum that's uh also where the naval base is where Chekhov yes. looks for the nuclear vessels that's exactly yes. right and where mythbusters blew up everything on that's the tarmac right. really yeah, yeah. So, every time they blew up something and it was like that giant driveway yeah <laughs> big tarmac slab that was the old alameda runways oh that, seeing the 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 aircraft carrier is really fun to visit by the way it's really it's cool. really cool yeah, they, and, and the city is yeah. amazing from there like the san francisco skyline and the bridges and everything it's just it's just a really cool area and casey used to live on an island out in the bay as well i did out in the middle there of nowhere go. i got to see mm -hmm. it all and that was days. made for, as an airport that was going to be the san francisco international airport oh it was an artificial mm -hmm. island yeah, yeah it's really cool it's, it's like terrifying. a big square <laughs> and you know what's on that island is the the indiana jones scene that's set mm -hmm. in germany where they burn all the books uh oh. that is that is mm -hmm. one of the world's fair buildings on that island and it's like it it's unmistakable you just go and it's like that it has like a little drive up where the car pulls around you know because you know lucasfilm is bay area anyway yeah there's our bay area speak for yeah. this week but it's, a of, it's uh... diversion from maine right right <laughs> a lot of, i used to live that's so funny Apocalyptic scenes are filmed on Treasure Island by like indie filmmakers in the area. Wait, it's called Treasure <laughs> Island? Yeah, it's called Treasure yeah. Island. Yeah. It's attached to Yerba Buena, which has the bridges that go over it, and then there's like a flat area called Treasure Island. We basically live in a Grand Theft Auto game. Like it is the funniest <laughs> right. set of environments here. And you know, yeah, so Alcatraz live... is right next to it, for example. I live across the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin, which is basically the forest moon of Endor. That's where yeah. a lot of the scenes up in Marin were, were shot. That's where, obviously, Skywalker Ranch and everything was, too. And the, the sea fun. facility from Star Trek Three is there. They, they say it's in Monterey, but they filmed that, like, that naval or the Marine Institute in there. And a lot you of mean, scenes are shot there. I think you mean the Cetacean Institute? Yes, the Cetacean Institute. It's yes. also where Starfleet is, if yep, you watch that is any true. of the shows. Every time, even the new series. Who can forget no. that San Francisco? Ah, uh, San Francisco. Yeah, but they always say there. San Francisco, and then they always show the other side of the bridge, which is not San Francisco. It's not even the same county. Nope. Well, we don't know what the 23rd century holds. Yeah, Perhaps could be San Francisco. city, city limits changing. You know what? Let's talk about video After games. After the eugenics wars? <laughs> I just... <laughs> There's actually... Yeah, all right. Let's talk about video games, because uh, I was just reading, like, unhappy comments from people who are like they were talking about a mouse in his house oh did we start the episode yeah we are we're we're deep into this oh. episode there's no going right. back mario zelda metroid this is how we get to to know one another you get to know each member of the panel and what uh artificial island they live on or may have <laughs> lived on at one point so it's awesome i like that kind of stuff but let's go right into video games. No Man's Sky developer Hello Games said they are putting the, quote, finishing touches on the Nintendo Switch version. And this will be a complete version of No Man's Sky, unlike the one that was launched originally, uh, with t all 20 major updates. 
Now, I don't know if anybody on the panel has played No Man's Sky uh, since I since I played its the heck out of it, but only at release. Oh, ooh, all right. And also, right. I thought it was pronounced Nomansky. Yes, yes. Well, it's, Sam. It depends on which coast you live on, actually. <laughs> so. Nice. Sam Sam with a zinger for floor guy there. there uh, no, No Man's Sky. I played it after I played it after most of the major updates and I I don't I don't usually stick with it because it's obviously it's a very time consuming involved game, but it it's pretty impressive how you know it just keeps on expanding and it gets closer to the vision that when when we saw the first trailers, we thought that that was what the game was going to be right off the bat and it it's just taking a little longer to get there but it's just such a really it's such an impressive game just the scope of what you can do in here yeah i uh yeah. this when this game was being announced in all that hype period of course everybody fell for it but uh my oldest son was just this he wanted nothing more than to play no man's sky so we got it for i think playstation 4 and he played it for maybe two hours at launch and was like not for it, me no, it's because the you know like uh, sometimes I love games. Most of the times, I love games where planets, lands, countries, dungeons are thoroughly designed by a game designer, leading you down a path, creating yes. puzzles and challenges for you, where randomly constructed games just can't compete. That said, you cannot design a universe of the of the size of No Man's Sky, right? And so. When I first started playing No Man's Sky, I really loved all the concepts, gathering resources, taking off from a planet and going into space and then going down to another planet. Just that never got old. All of that was good, but you just ran out of unique things to do and yeah. there weren't enough random encounters. And since then, the game has added just a ton of stuff from building a homestead to encounters in space and convoys and all yes. that. And it just gets better and better. And so I, I will definitely check back in again. Yeah, I, I remember mm. several years ago, probably at the lowest point for No Man's Sky on a Steam sale, it was four ninety nine. I was like, eh, oh wow, nah. And now the lowest it ever gets is thirty oh, because on. I played it on you know, bingo cards. We're gonna mention Game Pass. I played it on Game Pass, which I believe it's still on, and uh, I kind of fell in love with modern No Man's Sky. It was it's everything that I look for in a game, which of course I famously like just love open world. Well, this is open universe, yeah. and it does it it's... feels alive, and I love going to. You Space like Station. flight stuff too, so there's a lot of flight stuff in it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of flight stuff. It's not quite as simmy as I. <laughs> no, as how I could prefer. it be? Well, yeah. That no, is but true. the. I, I think the the one flaw that kept me from playing it longer in the beginning was that it didn't offer a a cooperative multiplayer experience, and that was something you know that caught my attention from the beginning because it was announced, and then the the multiplayer turned into something very very different that people made fun of. <laughs> um, but like yeah. if you play there's a game called deep rock galactic which is all about mining uh space planets and, and and going deep into mines and encountering robots and creatures and all of that stuff and that one is designed for four-player collaborative multiplayer and like if, if no man's skies sky had launched like that i think i would have kept on playing it just with my my kids for ages yeah it's i'm not sure if I want to get this on Nintendo Switch because I don't trust yeah, that it'll I was, run that great. I was going to say that as well. So they have been, they were working on this secretly for a little over two years and they, the developers have straight up said that there were times where they thought this would be impossible because this is a procedurally generated game. Mm -hmm. Everything is created by the system that it is on. 
Mm -hmm. uh, that oh. takes a lot of power, which the Nintendo Switch lacks. I'm sorry. I love the Nintendo Switch. I choose to play games on it 90% of the time. The, the, the truth option. is the truth. But it is the truth. Um, and yeah. I, I've also played a little bit of No Man's Sky and seen it just from PS4 Pro to its performance on the PS5. And that jump, like none of my friends that have the option to play on a PS5 or an Xbox Series X ever want to go back to playing on just like the pro versions of the systems the generation oh, before. Wow. so how is it going to go how is it going to play on the switch if they have had the option to play it on one of the newer systems as well mm. uh, a little bit concerning and also i couldn't find i'm just assuming this is not the case so i could not find anywhere if there's going to be cross play or cross save for the switch I'm assuming not Ooh, yeah that seems kind of critical I wonder um, if they're going to use it. But for people any... who only have the Switch, well, I hope it's wonderful and great and completely worth it. Yeah. It, it's a good, like, like, Switch game because of its, like, just kind of passive nature, like, for a plane flight or for, you know, sitting back and playing. Like, that, that is, it is a good match, but I, I totally see what you're saying about yeah, it. Yeah, it's... exactly. Um, I love No Man's Sky's launch. I, I played it for hours and hours and hours, and I actually got less interested in it. Uh, when it was uh, modified and changed and everything. And now mm. I, I'm very interested in going back now that it's at a state of completion because like, it, it was just like, I was like, okay, since I like the finished quote unquote version of it that I was playing, I was like, well, I don't want to like have a bunch of changes and like things pulled out from under me while I had like built up like the thing that I was building. Like I built, I really liked what I was doing in that game. Anyway, now I'm interested in playing it, but I have this like fantasy that I'll go in and play it and port my save over and like, I'll have some huge advantage because I played so much early on and I got like closer to the galactic center, like whatever. But I know that's probably not the case. It's a really good, um, I actually think it's a really good handheld game. Granted, I'm, I'm hoping it runs all right and looks looks all right on, on Switch in the end. But um, it's a great couch game while you're watching TV because there are a lot of tasks that you do, right? Like just mining or constructing or exploring, flying around that you can do while you're paying attention to a storyline in, in, in a TV show. So it's not a game that commands your attention where you're constantly talking to characters and listening to story stuff. Um, I, look, if, you haven't, if you've never played it and you've been wondering what the fuss is all about, I think it is now a good game. Yeah, I mm -hmm. is it is it fantastic? Agree. No, not yet. Yeah, I it's definitely not a, a 10 masterpiece. Nope. I am very okay. very fond of it though. And uh yeah, I if you yeah, like you're saying if you haven't played it yet and like Casey was saying if you only have a Switch and you're interested like mm -hmm. absolutely What's cool up. is that it'll wow you from the beginning a lot. Yeah. Like there's a lot yeah. because you you get used to its its permutations and that's when it kind of gets a little dull but like w when you're surprised the first few times it's awesome and like it, it feels really big and vast and then it's just like okay well the you know the algorithms are a little bit limited because that's just where technology is today right yeah i i treat every time every planet like a, like i do with minecraft where i'll spend you know three or four hours building that i find the perfect spot and i'll build the most amazing you know, settlement there and I'll have my cows and my pigs and my sheep. And then I'm like, okay, I'm bored. And I'll just in Minecraft, I'll just get in a boat and go across the ocean until, you know, I hit something or in no man's sky, I'll just fly to the next planet and find another one and do it all over again. I'm a very you, predictable human being. You do the Mary Poppins. You're like, whenever you're done <laughs> with that family, you go, I'm out of here. 
Yep. I I love flying I over them, the planet and looking for resources. It's just fun for me. I, I mean, is. I could just do that forever. I, I and a lot of people just get really bored with that, but I loved it. I think that's what yeah. I like about that game. Yeah, cool. It's simple, fun little stuff to do, and it's nothing. It, I'll say this: it's it can be as challenging as you want it to be. Uh, I haven't played in a while, but I remember finding an abandoned like space freighter and going mm-hmm. in there and being like, "Oh my god, this is like mm-hmm. uh, dead space light." It was kind of creepy and there's traps and things of that nature. And I get to explore and find all these really cool things. I didn't have to do that if I didn't want to. I could have just flown right by. And instead, I just curiosity got the best of me. And I found this incredible section of the game that I didn't even know existed up until that point. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. if you have a switch and you're interested in checking it out, check it out. And I'm I'm on the fence. If If it sounds like it runs well, if there's some sort of cloud streaming, I'll probably pick it up, especially if there's a physical edition. I'm a sucker for I know that's a good point so yeah cool so there it is uh coming soon <laughs> soon yeah finishing t- they said summer June coming summer. summer yeah July okay June or August even all the, the well mobile I guess we'll September get, mobile will get a release date for summer of gaming yeah or, or Australian summer December oh, no God. that doesn't that's they're all backwards and upside down over there you know hamburgers eat people in Rand McNally? <laughs> That's a Simpsons yeah. reference. All right. I, I like this year I decided I actually wanted to like follow hockey a little bit more than just the most casual of casuals. So I subscribed to a service that streams all of the NHL to your television. Uh the Boston Bruins home opener. I went to watch it and boom, blackout restrictions apply, which I thought was kind of ridiculous because I'm still 200 miles away from Boston, but whatever. Had I had NordVPN, that wouldn't have been a problem. I would have just gone in, changed my settings to another geographic area, and boom, I could have been watching all the Boston Bruins home games like it was nothing at all. So now I have NordVPN, and I can watch the home games of my local teams streaming without being frustrated. It's the same thing with, like, Netflix. It has all these complicated licensing rules, which from one country to another don't really make sense. So something you could watch on South Korean Netflix, you won't be able to watch on the United States Netflix unless NordVPN, boom, switch to South Korea, and you're watching whatever Korean drama that you want I highly recommend you do that. I haven't done it myself, but people seem to enjoy them. And who am I to try to bring down people's enjoyment? Uh, NordVPN, more than just entertainment and sports availability, it's going to protect you, especially when you're traveling, when you're using public Wi-Fi. People are trying to get in there. They're creeping on you. Bad actors, people trying to steal your password, your bank account details. Who knows what the government's doing these days? I can't keep track. They're all over the damn place. NordVPN... It's going to protect you. It's going to protect up to six devices because I know you have at least that many devices in front of you right now that can hook up to the internet. Boom. Fastest VPN in the world. You're not going to get any buffering. You're not going to get any lagging. Uh, It's going to stop your ISP from bandwidth throttling, which they do. That's kind of sneaky, especially how much you're paying those guys. There's threat protection to protect you from viruses and malicious malware and whatever else. Uh, Um unsavory actors are out there. If you want to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash NintendoVC. That's nordvpn.com slash NintendoVC. Victor Charlie. Uh, That link is also going to give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There is no risk. 
with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nice of them, and I appreciate that. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. We had an update from E3, the, uh, the big thing that we used to all get excited about every year, and they had Nintendo was there, and like a Miyamoto oh, yeah, that. comes uh, from a parachute with a fan on his back every year. It was very exciting. Mm. There's no other reference. That's a Simpsons reference, but it's also a reference to real life. There was the fan man who got the crap beat out of him, I think, by Mike Tyson for landing in the middle of a of a title fight uh, in an open stadium, and the two boxers just pugilized him uh, ruthlessly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Anyway, E three is coming back. It's back. Hmm. 2023 yeah it's back next year but i'm pretty sure they said that last year but they gave us a statement they said quote we will devote all of our energy and resources to delivering a revitalized physical and digital e3 experience next summer whether enjoyed from the show floor or your favorite devices the 2023 showcase will bring the community media and industry back together in an all-new format an interactive experience we look forward to presenting e3 to fans around the world Live from Los Angeles in 2023. There it is, 100% coming back. I said many, many times, E3 is never coming back. And apparently I was wrong. But I'm interested to hear what your takes are. Is it really coming back? Sam, what do you think? Well, my favorite device is the original Game Boy. So I, I'm looking forward to experiencing E3 on my favorite device. <laughs> oh, yeah. A dot matrix by... display with stereo mm -hmm. sound. And very, very uncomfortable headphones. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, monkey pox permitting, uh, it, it'll be great to have a in in person, you know, world event to look to forward to. But the, the the there's some there's some issues here. I mean, E3's participation is has been you know waning. The the companies that participate in E3, and so I don't know if the ESA is going to be wooing, uh, you know, companies like Sony back. Well, this would be a, what what it's nice for for Nintendo fans is that uh, Nintendo does participate and they usually usually come out swinging right. It's yeah. like a, it's like a marketing beat for Nintendo, as they say in the industry. Uh, that's that's always has big stuff. And now they will have like weird times of year where they have a, a direct with amazing announcements. Uh, but E three is always the guarantee that there's going yeah. to be cool stuff and it's something to look forward to in the summer. And I think that's important to look forward to. I think look obviously I've I've been at E3 for more than two decades. I've I've gone to many many events. I've talked to many people at the ESA. You know, when when E3 was canceled, we actually pitched to the ESA that IGN could run an online version of it. So, lots of conversations. I do believe it's coming back next year and what you said it may be true that um a lot of the major publishers are saying we don't really need an event where, you know, to be on the show floor at E3, uh, these publishers in some cases had to pay multiple millions of dollars for their booth spaces and constructions, right? The ESA is a nonprofit organization of all the, the, the game companies. And, you know, even if they don't participate, 
Microsoft, Nintendo, they, they're still part of, uh, of the ESA. Um, what the E3 could turn into is a hybrid between a public event and a publisher event. And yeah, maybe Microsoft won't be there or Sony won't be there um, because those companies believe that they themselves have so much clout that they can put on either physical or digital events that get a lot of people to watch and, and come. But I would say beware preaching to your choir, because what happens at E3 is it creates this groundswell of excitement and interest. And I do think people who own a PlayStation may watch Nintendo conferences or, you know, people who may not be into Ubisoft games will watch Ubisoft because it's an event sandwiched in between their favorite Call of Duty reveal or something else. And so I tremendous value to that from press perspective, there was always value in being in a place, being able to sample games so that it's not just us passing along what we saw in a non-interactive trailer to the audience, but actually being able to say, hey, this is looking good or this is not looking so good. Um, And being able to instantly ask questions, right? Like it, Mm. it was just a wonderful wonderful place to generate stories and and knowledge that we would share then for weeks to come on shows like nvc and and i always i'm always sad when people on social media go good riddance we don't need a three it's like no you don't need it but something is really lost when there isn't an event that brings people together there's a funny little you know bit of background to why E3 exists and why consumer facing electronic shows like the cs show also exist and that's that Originally, that timing was there, so game game stores, like physical Mm -hmm. box games, uh, people could go, you know, and and look at all the stuff and then make decisions for the fall season, uh, uh, you know, and make inventory decisions. Like, we're going to, you know, well, we're going to get, you know, a ton of these Sonic 3 cartridges. Like, this is going to be big. Like, that's a really cool origin of E3. And the, the fact that the press could be involved in that it's similar to sundance right where it's like there's a reason that sundance exists yeah. it's not just for critics it's for other purposes but the critics are a huge part of it so the, you know the, the journalistic side uh, that we provide gets to participate and see all those things and evaluate them in the same way that we're still evaluating them just like a a gamestop ceo would right um but we get to make content out of that instead of making buy decisions i love that origin of e3 but that is also what did i just explain to you it's like a completely completely dead reason like there's yeah. no reason that that E3 should exist for that anymore. So they've had to like think about like, well, what is e- E3's reason to exist? If it's just to have our games, you know, uh, uh, in front of critics, and, and that's not really enough. So they want to put them in front of fans more. That's like a, a big thing, and like make it a public event and stuff like that. So you can kind of see like, why does E3 need to exist? Like that reason isn't really clear. But from our perspective, we love it. We want it to exist so bad. Yeah. And so there just needs to be a good business reason for the ESA to make it exist. There's yeah. also there's also part of E3 that I think the public doesn't see. And that's the second floor of every booth. Oh uh, you gosh, know, N- yeah. Nintendo's Nintendo's booth is a show floor of stations where you can play games, uh, you know, and you, they make them look really cool by having, you know, statues of your favorite characters. All of all of that spectacle is really good at drawing you in. You're also observing player feedback. You can see if people are having fun, and you're you're you're, you're as a journalist, you're learning something from the experience uh, others have with these games. But the second floor of the booth is all meeting rooms, and these companies 
it's very rare that this much talent is together in one hall or multiple halls. You know, it happens uh, a bit at Gamescom, but it is a little bit more European company heavy. And what happens is all these game studio leads are there and new partnerships are being forged, check-ins are being made. And sometimes, you know, in, in the case of companies like Nintendo or Sony, um, local teams from the US, that is one of the few opportunities where their leaders are meeting with top brass from the Japanese studios. And so I wouldn't mm -hmm. discount that as well. Yeah. Was, Casey, I'd like to hear your thoughts on E3. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't, for, I think for most Nintendo fans, there's not a huge difference. I mean, Nintendo continued with the same sort of caliber presentations for June for the last two years. I mean, 2020, they were probably already finalizing what they were planning to present so that probably didn't change that much but last year i feel like it wasn't that much different of an experience except for the things that pear mentioned we have not been able to go hands-on so there are games that may have been elevated that didn't get the chance to because more people didn't have access to it and what i mean is like indie games or indie games that might have flown under the radar that we may have not thought to talk more about unless we had the opportunity to play it, which happens on the show floor at events like E3 and Gamescom. I know there are there were so many games that I went hands-on with at these sort of events that I would then keep track of and watch and wait. And just seeing a trailer doesn't do a lot of those games justice because there are so many of them. So I feel like a lot it's a lot more difficult to elevate games when you're not actively being able to play all of them yourself as well. And as same thing as Pear said, I think it wouldn't change a lot for Nintendo fans, but maybe for fans who wouldn't necessarily have watched Nintendo's presentation, but will just because it's part of the E3 programming. And that does change and make a difference. And it's the same thing. I watch things that I wouldn't necessarily watch just because it is part of the programming because it's an event and it's a thing and you want to know everything that happens. And without that one overarching tag to kind of bring everything together personally i get a lot more checked out and i'm sure it's the same for a lot of other people as well yeah i 100 agree i watch every one of the major conferences whether i am that interested or not and yeah, you're you're not. required too so well mm -hmm. also it's a requirement no, but, but i before, totally get it yeah i did before, before i worked here yeah before i worked here i would i made my decision on wh whether i was going to buy an xbox one or mm -hmm. a ps4 from watching E3 live streaming, probably on IGN. And when they said that the uh, PlayStation 4 was $399, I said, well, that's the one <laughs> I'm going to pre-order right now. But I've only been to the one E3. I went to E3 2008. Um, that's where I, that's where Shigeru Miyamoto jumped out of a closet in front of me. That's where I uh, almost, like literally almost ran into Andrew WK and ended up ruining a shot that he was doing for something I didn't realize. Uh, it was an amazing- Did you give him a bloody nose? Dude. This is what happened. I was like looking at my phone and I looked up and Andrew WK was like right there. Like he's a giant man. And I swore like extremely loudly. I went, I went like, holy, it's Andrew WK as loud as possible. And he looked away. They love that. And then I realized he was looking at a producer and there was a camera and they were doing like, they were doing a take for some thing. And I just had completely ruined his take. And I felt kind of embarrassed but also completely geeked out because i love andrew wk so much i was like oh, i love you man I, I just think you're really inspirational and he's like oh, yeah, yeah. and just walked away and reshot his take and i forgot where i was going with that oh yes i remember now e3 was a such a magical experience and we've mentioned you know you've all mentioned that maybe the public should have 
more of a role in E3. And I, I even wrote a feature about this and I 100% agree. Like, I think it should just be a public thing. And I say that because they allow, what, 5,000 people to have public tickets, some, you know, very small amount. And I happen to be walking by the entrance at the exact moment when they let the public in. And there's this one dude and he like ran in and he fell to his knees. He's like, ah, like a lifelong dream had been achieved. <laughs> he was the first guy in E3 on public day. And I was like, man, that guy just gets it. That's what this needs. And I'm I'm the same way on the social media when people are just like, oh, gross E3. Uh, uh. It's like, come on. Games, Gamescom, Gamescom has proven the model, right? Like Gamescom... 300,000 people from across uh, the Europe come to this event every year. Obviously, you know, it was digital last year as well. Uh, this year, it's it's back to be in physical form, smaller, but we're still talking over 100,000 people uh, coming there, even, even wow. in a downscaled one. It's like they can't fit more people. B gamers want to come and play these games yes. and have fun with their friends. And, you know, what's so notable about um, Gamescom is that it's not just about the new announcements and the games you've never played before. There are lots of games on display that are actually out and people play them because it's like it's like Disneyland for them, you know? Yeah. Um, it's enjoying it with their friends. So there's definitely something to that public thing. Um, but yeah, you, you brought up the celebrity angle, which is really interesting because there are a lot of um, celebs and lots of folks from Hollywood who show up for E3 because they want to, you know, and lots of athletes too, because they're into video games. And this is like a place where they can see them for the first time as well. And like the story, I don't, I don't know if we've ever told this publicly, but um, uh, almost 20 years ago, we snuck Leonardo DiCaprio into E3. Yeah. Um, with an IGN this. badge and a fake and a fake, he had a fake beard and a hat on, and like there, there, there are so many people who are getting their first looks at games, and then you get also attendants, uh, attendees of the show get their first look at celebrities they've never seen before. Yeah, actually, go on uh, Twitter and search for Zach Ryan. Search Miyamoto plus Kanye to read one of the most unbelievable stories it has nothing to do with e3 no it was e3 but yeah it anyway, was e3. i don't want to ruin that's his story to tell but casey what were you gonna say what was i gonna say oh um <laughs> this is probably completely unreasonable but it would be great there's no for... rules here this is NBC. i mean it would be unreasonable to ask the companies on the show putting things onto the show floor because things cost money but to extend it into the for the public mm. have like the weekdays press and then have the weekends as well and also some overlap days and so everyone has plenty of time and it's not overly crowded in a rush uh, yeah that i honestly cool. honestly think one press day is enough that's how games come it's not as the press you cannot observe games being played or have meetings on the public day it's more difficult mm -hmm. to jump in line and play games obviously because there's so many people waiting to play but come on uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Pax One has, press day, uh, two public days would be awesome. Yeah, Pax has press hour and a half, so <laughs> it's because it's a fan focused show. Different show, yeah. It's very fun as a fan, by the yeah. way. I highly recommend. Get, yeah, Pax is fun. Getting into E three early is like a, a cool cool thing to do. It's just like fun to see everything getting set up. Um, Casey reminded me of a point. She was talking about how it's hard to champion games without playing them. Uh, it's also uh, there's a flip side of that where. Um, 
let me use Kirby as an example. The the the, the, the recent Kirby game, like the speculation about that game, about it being a Mario Odyssey like or an open world or like you know some like interesting expansion of Kirby, like that would have all like not ha have happened because we would have known what Kirby was because we would have played it. But Nintendo like was very quiet and mysterious about that game and showed trailers that did not convey what that game was. So, you know, uh, it would have been interesting to see how that would have played out with, you know, reporting on it, which we didn't get to do until we previewed it, which was mm -hmm. way like, like the closer to launch. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that type of stuff is, um, you know, it, it's, it shows you the role of, of previewing objective criticism and, you know, versus just marketing where like, you know, it's like, they don't want you to, this game is necessarily saying like, oh, this could be this awesome big game I'm getting really excited about. They're just gonna let that happen. Yeah. I know a lot of people still thought it was an open world game, even after it had come out. Um, yeah, like a, I, like a trick. Yeah, I like streamed it. The, I was streaming it like, um, the preview embargo when the demo came out and people were like so many people are asking like so this is an open world game right and it's like no <laughs> it's not no, not so much e3 would have solved that and many other problems so i'm hoping that e3 come um, is officially going to come back and i hope they do lean into the fan angle and i really hope i get to go to e3 because e3 2018 was one of the funnest like three days or whatever that i've ever had in the game <laughs> 2018 industry. huh yeah 2018 i had ign for two months Mm -hmm. And I went to E3. What was Nintendo's booth? Was that the Odyssey year? It was uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate was coming out that year. So, uh, but I don't remember what the booth was. It might have been uh, Link's Awakening, actually. Um, it might have been that footage that we that Red was running. You were that video. then, yeah. I we actually have so. a, a wiki on IGN where we highlight all the games that were shown each year. Uh, yeah, that Link's Doom Awakening. Eternal, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Man, that was a fun time. Well, we're going to stop talking about big gaming events, and we're going to start talking on a little more focused indie game event. Uh, anyone here familiar with a little show called Rogue Jam Pair? Have you heard of this, this program? I've heard of this thing, yeah. What, what, what are we talking about? That show well, is over. Well, we're talking about the Audience Award, which went to a game called oh. Misplaced, which I was mistakenly... Uh, Myspace, place yeah until i watched the, the <laughs> video about that up it. on the show <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, exactly and uh my uh, oh my god i just did it misplaced it's because it sounds like myspace right and you're yeah just, that's like, right i'm like expecting tom <laughs> to be like looking at you like that but uh mm. yeah this game is link awakening funny enough we were just talking about that. i mean it, remake. It, it's yeah the links awakening remake on the switch this is uh a very charming, very cute game that wears its inspiration on its sleeve to the point <laughs> that I thought it would be interesting to talk about where, when does a game pass homage and become a, a clone? Or, you know, I'm not going to say this is a knockoff, but this looks like almost like an expansion to Link's Awakening. And there are okay. some games... Pear, you're laughing. I'm I'm but, really curious from for Pear's pers perspective because I'm sure there was more conversation about this that we did not see in Rogue. Yes, Jam. so much. Please enlighten us. <laughs> yes, well, I would like to hear the story so, of this. So the game, you know, what we played of the game, it it feels good. Like it feels like Link's Awakening. It obviously the very first area looks like this doesn't. This looks a little different, but like the 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 overall style and everything 
it's more than an homage, right? It's very, very close. And so when we first saw this game and played this game, uh, it didn't make it into the overall category for, you know, selection because we felt it was too derivative. And we had lots of discussions about that in, in the beginning. We said, well, I, I don't get it. Like, this, this is a husband and wife team, right? So they, they're doing a lot with very little, which is impressive. They yeah. clearly loved Link's Awakening. And so for a lot of indie devs or new developers, it's, you know, sometimes they start with replicating something they love. Um, modders, right, work on games that already exist and bring something new to them. They're fan projects that look exactly like, um, you know, games that you already know, and sometimes they even use the characters um, that, that you know. This is this is different. Um, the game, there's more to the game than, than it just being Link's Awakening, but it is. it was very frustrating to me to see the character being a little dude with a shield and a sword. I'm like, <laughs> take a game like Tunic. Tunic is very much inspired by Link to the Past, right? And like, if you haven't played Tunic, it is my game of the year. I think, Sam, it's still oh, your wow. game of the year, right? It's my game of the year. Yeah, easily. Wow. I, I love that game, but it's like you play it and it, it the main character is a fox and it's instantly different. There are differences in style and like, even though it feels like it, it opens up and does things that Link to the Past never did. Right, like it importantly has its own graphical style for this conversation. I mean, yes, but like it still looks like it. This has the same graphical style as Link's Awakening remake, um, and like our first frustration was like, would it have killed you to just make it set be set on an alien planet where the trees are blue <laughs> or you know it's like. When you put the two side by side, like, does it have to be pots? Like, why do dungeons have pots, right? Like, could could it just be crates? I know crates are not original, but, like, it's just so close. And during our interview with the developer, I, I tried to push for this multiple times. And I'm like, what are you doing that is more unique, like, that that stands out? And obviously, we we published some, uh, some uh, clips from Reggie saying the same thing. And I said, specifically, like, what are you doing to make it stand out? Because you've got a sword, a shield. You're pushing spiky things with the shield out of the way, which is very uh, Zelda. And he said, well, right now the hammer is like a key to open things, but I would like to turn the hammer into a weapon and a tool. I'm like, but that's like Zelda again. Like, don't <laughs> make it a hammer. There was something else that the developers mentioned that I'm, yes. I'm curious about, but it it seemed he seemed very hesitant to talk about it because it seemed to be a spoiler for the game, and it was something about God, what was it? Um, it I can tell you, it's yeah, you the it's the AR aspect, right? Like yes. there are things that exist outside the game, uh, where you go on social media and there there's some sort of tie in with an account uh, that that ties to this game or coordinates being given in the hmm. in the game tied to something in the real world which is a little bit more like the meta game in tunic where hmm. there's life to the game inside the in-game manual which i thought was really interesting it wasn't shown in the in the uh, demo but all of that to me then my follow-up question to that would have been like, why does it look like Zelda then? Why doesn't it tie in more with the real world and have that sort of theme? And maybe there is it's that element there. underlying, right? Like maybe there's something underneath. Maybe this isn't the real world and it's simulated. Yeah. But um, I, there are glimpses I, at levels that look different from Link's Awakening. So, you know, take that. Yeah, it's, 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 pro it's, a, it's an isekai where someone in real life something terrible happens and they get misplaced into their favorite game right I mean, go, i'm right? just like yeah I, it's just i'm just assuming i'm just extrapolating based off of the 
uh, things that we know about it. But I, I think the biggest, the biggest problem that people would see when looking at this game is the art style. I think if the art style didn't so perfectly match Link's Awakening, people wouldn't be as upset about it. Exactly. And the character. Tunic. Yeah. And the the character. Yeah, I guess. I mean, there are some pretty bold-faced Zelda-likes out there, right? Like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of them. And I feel like a lot of times people don't get upset about it i feel like upset is a strong word people don't get annoyed (laughs) at the blatant copy as long as the art style looks different like they're they're like let's see blossom blossom tales uh turnip turnip boy evades tax evasion those are all very those are all zelda likes 3d dot game heroes the best zelda like of all i reviewed that they they look different Blossom Tales. Blossom Tales. Yeah. Blossom Tales looks a lot like Link to the Past, right? The art style is very similar. But then when you see it played in the the very first footage you see, you can already see that it is an upgrade. It's almost like, all right, we took Link to the Past and now we're running it on more modern machines. And so there's Mm -hmm. more particle effects and all of that. Whereas, to be fair, Misplaced looks exactly like Link's Awakening remake. And I think that is one of the issues. But, um, Look, I mean, art sometimes is derivative, right? And and sometimes you start with something you love and a replica. In this case, it's not being designed for Switch. It's actually on another platform. You're bringing something to another platform that's not there. And so I am excited for Misplaced based on that, right? Like there is hmm. a, um, here is a game that is like revisiting Link to the Past. It's on a different platform but it also seems to go beyond it. And so I'm really excited for that. But like at the very, at the same time, I shared the frustration of people who say like, why, why isn't the main character something different? Or like if, mm-hmm. if the main character is wearing like this kind of pirate pilot helmet, why isn't there like an, an aeronautics theme or something to set it apart from the world we already visited? And I totally get that feedback. Yeah. I guess, I guess thinking more about the story as well. I mean, I, I don't want to spoil Link's Awakening for anyone, but I guess it's not like that different either. <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's a hint in the title, right? Um, yeah, about what what that game is about, but but you know, um, it 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 is. A, I I I think what is there is really impressive from the perspective of who created it, right? Really small team. This is not Nintendo. This is not a giant team that's been making video games for, you know, decades and is well-resourced and has all these, you know, this kind of built-in marketing because of their pedigree. This is an an indie developer, and they started with something that they love. And now my hope is that it will be transformative and that we will see this game evolve. And, like, (laughs) I'm happy that it won the Audience Award. And just to be clear, the Audience Award was audience members based on trailers pit picked games that didn't make it into the final category, kind of like a last chance, last chance kitchen kind of thing where you like bring back a game and then we, the judges, play the games and based on how they actually play, pick a winner out of that shortlist. And that's why Misplaced won because it plays great. It's fun. It's uh, it's cute. It it's There's, there's great um, promise here. But yeah, I'd love to see it go beyond its inspiration. Yeah, I have some thoughts. Uh, okay. One is that I think the more Zelda clones, the better. I think it's like it's a genre, it's a genre, and I love it. And you know, if there's twists on it, that's great. I love that. Um, I think that that there's some uh, subtext here which hasn't been mentioned, which is that uh, 
uh, we Nintendo fans tend to get upset when there's a Nintendo like game that might not be on a Nintendo platform. And, you know, when there's 3D game heroes face this, like people are like, oh, it's just, it's just Zelda being completely copied by Sony. Another thing Sony's copying, like it just, some people are just not going to give the game a pass for that. They think that mm -hmm. all, all Zelda belongs on Nintendo. Um, and that hasn't been the case for three decades, right? Zelda is a genre. Like there's a Beyond Oasis on forward. There's incredible games that have come out on other systems that have Zelda-like elements. So, you know, that's just something to, to, to take into account. Now, the uh, uh, with this game in particular, I think also taking an art style wholesale and making your own game with it gets a pass for many games that people that are listening to this like, uh, like uh, Shovel Knight. I mean, that game is just a, it, it's taking all the elements of Mega Man and just doing a Mega Man game. That's just what it is. And I know mm -hmm. there's twists on it. This game has twists yeah. too. But like, you can't give one a pass and then give another a pass. Like, that is the case. If somebody made it a game that looked like Octopath Traveler and was better than Octopath Traveler, I would like it more than Octopath Traveler. I don't uh -huh. care that it that it took the 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 style. The style is incredible, and Octopath Traveler absolutely invented a style that looks really cool. But if there was a you know a, a game that was as good as Chrono Trigger that looked like that that somebody made in their house with their wife like or their husband, that's super cool. Yeah. Right. I that's think so funny. Correct me if I'm wrong, Pear, but because uh, I haven't played the game. But I think part of the problem is it's not just that it resembles Link's Way, like. Uh, borrow so much from Link's Awakening to, that, to where the, the line, it, it's not like, uh, you know, uh, back in the day, we didn't have the vocabulary to describe what a first person shooter was. We called them all doom clones. Yeah, essentially, mm -hmm. the gameplay mm -hmm. was the, the, the same. You were first person and you were, you know, shooting aliens and space marines and whatnot. But those games, in spite of having the same style of gameplay, were different games. I think well, that, you hit on is... an important point that, that that if this game is actually fun and it's like really unique and feels different, that's great. But if it's too samey and that's a problem with it, like I feel like I'm just playing the same game again, that's that's a good criticism to make of a game, right? Is that yeah. It's like, this is too much like Zelda, so it's kind of boring because I've done this all before. Like that, that is was... totally legit. Yeah. That was my disappointment with the comment about the hammer. Like right now, the way the hammer functions in the game, it's it's essentially mm -hmm. just a key. When you get to a certain blockage in the past, yes. if you have a hammer, you just hit A and he whips out the hammer and it basically unlocks the passage. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, it's got the hammer. I don't know why he didn't use, why they didn't use a completely different item because the hammer I associate with, with Zelda, you know, like a sword, every, every game. Like this has a sword right. it's fine yeah. right but it's like mm -hmm. that why the hammer and then the comment was well i'm gonna make the hammer work more like it does in zelda i'm like no no that's not what i want <laughs> i want you to not have a freaking hammer i want you to do something like you know every every zelda game we get a hook shot or a boomerang mm -hmm. something that we know to use and the moment we see it we know how it works and i want games that expand on um, Zelda likes or Metroids, all of that. I want them to have their unique weapons and tools where when I get it, I'm like, I wonder what this does and figure out how to use it rather than going, it's a hammer. It'll hammer, hammer down yeah. pegs and it can pass, right? Yeah, oh, the keyhole and the key is shaped like it. So it's like, okay, now I'm just going to go unlock all the things. It's like the red doors in Metroid. Like, that's not the most creative way to block off an area. It's like, you know, that's yeah. for missiles. Like, you just go back and do them. So, like, Metroid got really creative with that eventually. It's like traversal yeah. becomes unique. And you're like, oh, now I can get really high in rooms because I can swing on this, like, grapple hook. Like, that, that type of stuff is, is, is all, what it's totally about. 
Yeah, and then obviously for Rogue Jam, and if you're listening to this, you haven't watched the show, give it a shot. Um, you know, we've, I'm a I'm a judge on the show. Reggie's on it. Uh, we've got a talented team from folks from Netflix and Warner Brothers helping judge. And the whole point um, uh, was to find indies that might need additional resourcing paired with Ro- with Rogue, the game publisher that's run by Matt Casamassino, who used to be the editor of Nintendo at IGN and is really passionate about indie games and Nintendo games as well. And then figure out, like, can we reward the most, the clever ones, the ones that show the most promise gameplay-wise with uh, cash prizes? And this game got 50 grand. That's not enough to fund its development. We're seeing a game that is very, very early on in development still. And, you know, the development team, is you know aspirationally i think they want to spend uh, you know significantly more time on the game and raise more money to to get it to completion and so what, what you're seeing is something you know very very early on and hopefully will um evolve over time too hey pretty pretty point sam on like games that look like others and uh you know octopath traveler uh a day ago we posted a trailer of I a saw, game called code Thank you for code name Wandering Sword. Yeah, and that it does, it's using that style. <laughs> and it doesn't only look like Octopath Traveler; it looks like the Live Alive remake that is right. using the style of Octopath Traveler. Right? right? Yeah. It's like Octopath kind of created this this unique look of where you take games and it looks a little bit like the old Saga games, a little yeah. bit like Final Fantasy. It's like and pixels, three D eyes, three D eyes with a diorama yeah. and a, a motion blur. Like that's like what's and, going on in these games. And so this code name, uh, Wandering Sword, the reason why I'm not mad at it is, is, first of all, I love this style. And right now, the more games look like this, the better. Look how cool that looks Heck already, yeah. right? It's beautiful. And it's it's a it's set in the it's a wuxia style game, so it uses martial arts, and it's set in it's a completely different setting. Setting Live Alive has you know obviously China and Japan stages in it, obviously he says. Um, but, <laughs> the only but this person that's completely... that on our entire staffs <laughs> is obviously. Uh, no, but like this game is set in China, and it's something that we don't see this often, and so it doesn't feel like Octopath Traveler, and that is my hope for Misplaced yeah. is that. The more we see of it, the more it's not going to be Ice World, but something different that we're discovering. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. I'm interested to see how it turns out. And I do hope that they pare down the inspiration a little yeah. bit. Well, P-A-R-E. Pare down. So. I, before we move on, I just want to say that I, I noticed uh, almost a blatant ripoff in one of my favorite game series, which is Metal Gear Solid. I watched the movie Speed. Or uh, which is also known as the bus that couldn't slow down, yep. and uh, the music in that movie is almost exactly the same as in Metal Gear. The dun 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 dun. Oh. That is all the the music in in the movie Speed. Which, by the way, that movie is so good. I've forgotten it? how amazing it is. It's, it's there's a big uh, abs- there's a big Tucson tie into that, Seth. I did not know that. Yeah, the, right, it's the Wildcat stuff. She's from University of Arizona, and he calls her Wildcat. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that scene that we just saw, if you're watching the video of uh, of the car just jumping into the frame, that is how you're introduced to uh, the main characters. <laughs> like they just literally jump a hill into the into the frame. And that is how you know that speed is amazing. But the Metal Gear Solid music is in speed to the point where I thought I was going crazy. Wow, look I- how old all the cars look. Yeah, oh, yeah. What? that movie's 1994. I think that <laughs> is when that came out. Keanu is like just like this little baby face, yeah. and Sandra Bullock mm-hmm. looks exactly the same. Yep. Good for her, yep. by the way. Uh, yeah. All right, 
I had a Seth's soapbox, but I'm just going to go right by because we want to talk about the top reasons we love the Nintendo GameCube. And this week, we're going to be talking about something that makes it so amazing, and that is it is named after exactly what it is. The <laughs> Xbox is not an X, nor is it a box. The PlayStation, a station, like for what? Like a train? I uh, No, I don't think so. But the GameCube is a cube that plays games and who doesn't love something that's named literally it's like a forklift lifting a crate of forks that's a mitch hedberg joke so i'm i'm gonna give him credit for that but also i love a little mitch handle there in case you want to take it along with you no no yeah, one ever so actually no go ahead casey it's so you can gut it when you're done with it and use it as a lunchbox is that uh, what it is? I mean, oh, okay. I, I I had friends who actually used GameCubes as lunchboxes in oh, high school, but it seems like a lot of work. Oh yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. I don't know. The handle, hey, the handle is so hilarious. In town. <laughs> the handle is anyone... like, you know, somebody they, they they came out they came up with this really unique design principle for the GameCube. And I, I, I love the design now. I think it is not very functional for a game console. And back then, um, you know, depending on what kind of setup you had in your living room, the GameCube was very disruptive because it didn't fit into a normal yes. condenser. But what it, what it was, was it was almost like going back to your childhood where a video game console is sitting on the carpet in front of the media, the TV, right? TVs used to be big and not hang on walls with everything beautifully stowed away underneath. It's like the console was on the floor on the carpet with the wires running across and you sitting on the floor because the controller cables were too short, which they were on GameCube too. Um, and then sometimes you have to put it away because mom and dad said clear that out and you yep. can grab it by the handle and move it and like for that sort of nostalgia feel like that that design was just exactly the right thing now when it was shown in purple i said oh that's a big mistake americans are not going to love the purple box because it now looks like a toy at the time where everybody was talking about game consoles as like these powerful consumer electronics machines and you know NOA obviously reacted to it by releasing a, a you know wanting to release a, a black version at launch for the for this market as well but like it's such a unique cool idea i think Pair, yeah. correct me if i'm wrong but the there's a panasonic version of the game yes that has the a cube. dvd player in it uh, what's mm -hmm. it called the panasonic q yeah panasonic q yeah so still mm -hmm. uh right on the nose and that is a little taller it's a little shinier and still has a handle it's much bigger <laughs> it's it's yeah it's quite a bit taller the handle are two bars on top that run like parallel rather than the one handle the gamecube has like a gateway uh, pc is... or something when they had those yeah, kind of handles all over it's <laughs> it's got a chrome face plate and everything i That's love so that good. thing i own one and uh, i think it's, it's probably just, right it's, around you in the office there I'm sure, unless you took it home it, it's, it's somewhere but it's um it's a weird device in that it isn't a perfect merging of two technologies it's not really a gamecube that plays dvds it's more like a gamecube and a dvd player are housed in the same device so it has two trays is that how it works it has one oh, tray but oh, like okay. the outputs in some cases are distinct like oh, it has a digital right, right it yeah. has an optical out which the gamecube didn't have but it won't work yeah. for the gamecube yeah and it's yeah, like yeah. it's just weird it's like weird stuff like it, it like you know it it couldn't do uh, Dolby Digital, for example, even though the DVDs could do there Dolby Digital. There it is. So, love it. so in a little digital go. display at top. So there's that form factor. There's the black GameCube, the purple GameCube. 
what other variations mm-hmm. of the GameCube casing orange. hardware were there? There was an orange So they did one. a full orange yeah. one. But where's yeah, the silver one? Gold. Silver, yep. And then there was a gold one for what what tie-in? Did that exist for something? Oh, no, there was a silver one for Metal Gear, right? Wasn't there one for... Uh, Metal so Gear? There there, a... there's two uh, uh, test machines, and one is a teal... Green green yeah, and then and then the other is gold i think that that's the gold one is that there's a, yeah. there's a there's a recording and a playing one and we used to get yeah. them both through the office i uh, love oh, those cool. yeah the orange one was the uh it was like the boldest Spice color choice orange. that different no the the yeah. silver the silver Adam one was, the silver one was just a regular one but there was a metal gear one fran had a so metal yeah gear I, I can picture the metal gear gamecube box on fran's desk yeah it was a original- it was foot Twin snakes. Yep. Oh, it was the gray front, right? Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the little that. I mean, if I have one issue with the game cube, it wasn't a perfect cube because the little (laughs) oblongs bowed out a little bit. And if you add the Game Boy Player, then it's it's just a a a, a rectangular prism. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I believe that's what you call a, a rectangle in 3D space. Oh, the Twin Snakes Geometry. Cube had a... Had Geometry a, serves a, me correctly. The Twin Snakes GameCube was silver and had the, the decal on the on the tray. Oh, you know, in Canada, man, they say decal. Decal, oh, really? For decal, yeah. That, I learned that from CJ. Isn't, isn't that part of... No, uh, no it's true. It's true. You're, you're, the, the NVC listeners in Canada will confirm Canada, that. Canada, hit us up. The they comments. also don't have Cliff's notes. They have a completely different person that writes notes. <laughs> what's wrong with cliff what did he do to the canadians i don't know they claim that they were right they were cheating on tests first <laughs> i knew uh i knew brisket had a decal when you have smoked meats oh, it has a decal. oh that's see there yeah. it is there's the box that fran oh, had great looking system that is yep. so cool all right well that's what we love about the gamecube this week well okay look i just wanted to do a goof a little bit where i talked about how it was named literally and I appreciate that because no other console has been since or before. So real quick, what have we been playing? Pear, what you been playing? Oh, man, I have not been playing a lot of Nintendo games because uh, my wife is Uh-oh. traveling. So this is the time to play games that annoy her, like uh, Horizon <laughs> and other things. Um, no, I was playing a little bit more Pokey and Rocky, but I also am playing th- this new game that's coming out um, on June 2nd called Card Shark. Have you heard about okay. it? Okay, it's I made... Yeah, it's for Switch, and uh, it's coming out on Steam as well. Uh, it's from Nariel, and, and Nariel made Reigns. Do you, re- do you remember? There was a Game of Thrones version of Reigns, too. It was this mobile card game where you, you're you're basically uh, you're, you're swiping cards. This game looks like a card game, but it's actually not a card game. It's a card oh, yes. cheating yes, game. Yes, 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 yes. No. So this is a, it's an adventure game, and it has this really kind of cool art style. If you're watching it, you can see this right now, uh, like almost like Shadow puppets and um it's a story-driven game where you're playing as a, a mute waiter in this tavern in 18th century france and you get recruited to travel around with this shyster basically like this card trickster and he teaches you all these different techniques like from pouring the wine for someone and looking over their shoulder to read their cards to you know different tricks on how to serve the best cards to a certain person at the table and it's used via like button button presses and and stick gestures and all of that stuff so it's a really really different clever game and if you just watched the video and thought it was a card playing game it is not um Hmm. 
Devolver is publishing this? In England, it's called this? Card Sharp. What? Nobody cares. I just oh, made a little joke. Oh, this was... <laughs> Dude, I swear. It was a floor guy moment. <laughs> floor guy loved it, but none of us know what you're talking about. But um, Card no, so Sharp is what they I... call it in the UK. Anyway. Oh, I see. Okay. Very nice. No, uh, it wasn't. No. <laughs> Thank you, Lopez. No, I'm just being nice to you is what I'm saying. Appreciate uh, it. No, it's uh, I have to play way more of it. I'm just at the beginning. I want to see how it uh, holds up. But so far, it's a cool it's one of those cool little games that wasn't on my radar. And then you start playing it. And you're like, this is what Switch is all about. I love these games. Pocket Card Jockey being the other one that we need on the Switch. Of course, we talked about that. Please last week. bring it over. Yeah. 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 yeah so I'm playing right. that. Very cool. Casey, what have you been up to? So I, I actually went back to ocarina of time again yesterday on the nice nintendo switch online or on the original line okay on the nintendo switch very cool uh just some nice comfort food gaming that game still holds up i don't care what anyone says even if the graphics aren't the best obviously but it's still very very fun and works very well but i don't know maybe that's just me memorizing everything that i have to do so i will i will never i will never get to re-experience that game did you notice Did you notice they fixed some of the graphics in emulation? Like the fog is now more pronounced in the beginning and all that? It's a little better. Yeah. Yep. They tweaked it. I did not play it before they implemented some of the fixes, so I'm not I'm not sure. Gotcha. Um but it's still it's still good. Also still playing Monster Hunter Rise. There's still event quests and things that I didn't finish. What a shocker. I know. Sunbreak (laughs) is coming out in a month. I gotta remember how to not Hmm. suck. It's very important to not suck in that game. Uh, And I've also been playing Ark Survival Evolved, which is available on the Switch, but do not play it on the Switch. It was released and then never updated and never touched an option. Ouch. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) But that's a very fun game, but it is Nintendo, so I won't talk about it anymore. All right. Hmm. Sam, what have you been playing lately? I am deep in the clutches of Spiritfarer. Um, I enjoy that game. It has... um, all the qualities that I look for in a game uh, uh, about exp- exploration. It has this kind of Wind Waker-esque... We lost Sam. Uh, we lost oh, no. Sam. Okay, I was wondering, I'm like, man, is this me? No, oh, yeah, I was checking too. Uh, uh, all right, well... Uh, Sorry, folks. While we wait for Sam to come back, I'll just talk about what I've been playing. I, as you know, uh, got a new CRT TV from uh, actually a listener whose family has a house in Maine. I was like, hey, we're going to throw out this um, CRT. If you want to come get it, here's the address. My parents will be up there this weekend. So I drove out uh, to the middle of like a blueberry field in Maine. Um, wondering, you know, am I going to come back or not? specifically a blueberry field? That was, well, Maine has wild blueberries everywhere. And this person's mm. house was in a blueberry field. And okay. uh, it, he's, he said it was the last house at the end of the road and it sounded very ominous now but they were like super nice people and they gave me this amazing 19 inch crt tv so shout out to listener chris staples i really appreciate it so i've been playing illusion of gaia on my original look at that nice it looks great oh i love it it is so good it's a daiwu which i know that they made very uh unpopular automobiles in the united states but i did not know that they were a consumer electronics maker this thing looks so so very good he, apparently he played hundreds of hours of fantasy star online but anyway i've been playing illusion of gaia on my original super nintendo i never played that game before and i bought it on ebay for 
you know, 30 or $40 and plugged it in. And that's a very fun game. It looks very nice. It's, I, it's not what I was hoping for, which is a turn-based RPG. I guess I could have like read <laughs> something about it before I bought it. No, but, no, not possible. No, no. Yeah, exactly. But I'm, I'm enjoying it nonetheless. It's Are you using fun. a strategy guide? Playing, uh, Super Nintendo. No, I haven't, I haven't gotten to where I would need one yet, but oh, I eventually I was, will. Yeah, I thought it would be kind of impenetrable. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm, I'm very early on into it. And I'm happy to say, and this is the case on all of my old games, all the batteries still work. Great. Wow. Knock on wood. Yeah. So Easy to replace you know, my, if there's an issue. My OG. That is true. But it's just kind of amazing that the 35-year-old copy of The Legend of Zelda that I have still <laughs> has battery enough to save games to it. Other than it's... that... Uh, I was, What's up, Eric? No, I was going to say, it's really cool that you're playing Illusion of Gaia. If you haven't, have you, I'm assuming you've played other games by Quintet. That's the Japanese developer that made it. They made ActRaiser, obviously, uh, ActRaiser 2. Uh, but they made one of my kind of hidden gem games, Soul Blazer. You ever play that one? I have not I have. played that one. And then, you know, there's there's also Terra Enigma. So they, those are, they, they, they were really good at making games that looked a little bit more like classic 16-bit RPGs, but still played a little bit more like a Legend of Zelda or Secret of Mana game. Okay. I'll mm -hmm. check those out. But yeah, other than that, all I've been playing is Microsoft Flight Simulator. Who would have thought? The Maverick wow. expansion is out. I'm going to learn how to land on a... Uh, aircraft carrier which was impossible in the original top yes it was yes because there were some controller mm. issues things there it's but like learning Sam, how to surf and tnc fair. surf design it's just impossible yeah I am... also a very bad game that every kid i knew had a copy of i love that game i mean i love it it's bad i, I agree you it's bad but i do love it. Oh, okay i think the skating is really fun and yeah. i learned how to surf once in the ign offices and uh i played it and it was great once you knew how um yeah, should I continue from the beginning of my Spirit Fair? Yes. Why? Yeah, why do you love it? Okay, so I was led to believe this was more of a resource management game and, and a city building game, right? Uh, but it's not. It's also an exploration game. And the exploration is fantastic in it. You have a really cool world that's so much bigger than it lets on at the beginning to explore in 2D. It feels uh, it has uh, upgrades that are uh, Castlevania-like. You get double jump jumps and, and floats and stuff like that. So you start getting around and getting to new areas you, you return to. So there's a little bit of uh, uh, Metroid-like stuff going on. Uh, it, it is so good. And then on top top of all of that there is a incredible resource management game and a city building game uh and on top of all of that it's really well written it just has like awesome uh, like little plot points and dialogue that usually i can't stand in games because it's not written well uh this game's written very well and there's like really cool little character attachments that happen and it's just I can't believe how much is in this game and how mm. much I was missing not playing it for years. And it is absolutely like a top 10 Switch game for me. Like, I need to play this game. Play the crap yeah. out of this game. It, if you have a, you know, a summer game lull, uh, there, I just like, I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. I've been playing it for weeks, like two and a half wow. weeks, like as much as I can between the many, many Star Trek series I have to watch now. <laughs> That's really cool. Well, one, once again, that was uh, Spirit Fairer. Just as a reminder, 
Um, you know, if you missed any of the game titles that we we talked about, just go to ign.com slash playlist and we have a full playlist of all the games being talked about in our podcasts and you can, you know, add them to your to playlist or to your collection if you've already played them or finished them. So so please do that. And if you miss anything, that's the place to find them. I also made a playlist that we're going to feature this weekend uh, where you can find those, uh, the kind of featured playlist page of my favorite NES games, which I ranked not by quality alone, but also by, you know, goofiness and and something, stuff that's worth checking out. I always tell people I collect based on rarity, quality, and irony. Like those are three (laughs) things that I value. And there's games like Zombie Nightmare, which I think meet all three of those. Uh, And so check it out. I'm I'm looking yeah, at I, your list right now. Uh, according to IGN, it says it takes 105 hours Sorry, to beat those games. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine uh, that time investment? See, Monster Party's in there, right? Like, like yeah. nobody in their Family right Feud. mind would recommend Monster Party as the first game for people to get. And Family Feud, I love that as a party game. It is so right. fun guessing what people thought was a Hollywood hunk in 1988. I just have no <laughs> point of reference for this, and it's great. Well, obviously, it's Tom Selleck. <laughs> TV's and Magnum PI. Yeah, it's like Scott Bayo and stuff. It's weird. <laughs> and you've oh, man, got that's great. You've got the Japanese Goonies on there. Yeah, so oh, the Goonies one, which I can't recommend highly enough. It's in the Play Choice uh, machines in the United States, but you know, in Japan, it came out in some other iterations. Versus stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, it's a great uh, Donkey Kong like with a little bit more complexity. Very cool. Very different than Goonies yes. two. Yeah, the playlists are fun. I actually made one of every game that I've reviewed at IGN. I've reviewed 34 games at IGN, which that's uh, crazy I found actually. to be that's a astonishing. Yeah, I, I, like I said on Twitter, it's one of my favorite parts of the job, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was going through and I was like, dang. And then it turned out some of them were for Seth Macy and some of them were Seth G. Macy. Yeah. So they're not in order because I had to add like five of them at the end. Yeah, we but, can reconcile yeah. that for you too. But that's cool you made that list. That. I should do that. Oh, yeah, a good I made another one, but I can't remember. Oh, no, I made retro games that were are within arm's reach at this exact moment. What a stupid <laughs> yeah. waste of time, but it's probably still true, even though I've rearranged my office. All right, we're going to talk a question block. Actually, one of the question blocks is what was by Jonathan Kratz was what are some tips for folks who are getting started with vintage Nintendo game systems collecting? And I think Sam's uh, advice right there to go, you know, the, the three criteria, <laughs> what is it, rarity, Quality and, and irony. And yeah, because there's good yeah. games, <laughs> there's rare games, that which are going to be harder to find, and then stupid games. Yeah, I've been finding that a lot of fun games are priced pretty reasonably. It's generally the the very famous ones, Chrono Trigger, um, you know, uh, Super Metroid, Complete in Box, like those that are very good games are also pretty expensive. And then it's like the really rare ones, like Dracula X, which isn't that great of a game, but it's also, you know, you, yeah, that's a very valuable uh, Super yeah, NES Mega Man X3. Right there's, there's a couple like that, Ogre Battle. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, I would also recommend, like, you, if you live in the right area and you have flea markets and garage sales and antique malls, do that. Do not yeah. do it online. It's just it's no. there's an economy. It's it's way way inflated. I, I think it might be these go up and down. I've been collecting for a long time. I, it's been on an upswing for way long right now. It could crash it's out. Too long. Wait for that, but like, it will. Yeah, exactly. 
Casey's right. Yeah, and another thing and about people Full rip Market you off is too. There's some fake games out there. Oh, oh yeah, I've mm-hmm. I bought a fake uh, copy of Final Fantasy VI. It was not disclosed in the eBay setting, and I look or actually I put it online, and Stealth Forty K was like, oh, you bought a you bought a fake, dude. It's like, yeah, it. so, I did too. Yeah. I bought Zelda's Adventure uh, Adventure for the CDI many years ago, and it, it was an obvious copy. That was too. fake. Oh no, it was you could fake. Just burn those. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah well you should really burn that game anyway but <laughs> yeah right yeah. literally <laughs> so, bad. so different uh, version this of is burn. this is a quick one because we're almost out of time but evan bidolf or i guess bidoof uh it's a pokemon asks, yeah pokemon. what does bidoof evolve into bidoof. Uh, bidoof. Uh, the barrel <laughs> the barrel casey right. that's why you're yeah, all, yeah. i'm sorry <laughs> why that was amazing that's great this is a everyone wants to know what other hobbies do each of you have besides video games and i was thinking about this and uh complaining about video games online that's my other hobby so pair what are your other hobbies (laughs) well i have a family and dogs i've got two two big greyhounds so i guess that's a that's a hobby and having a family is a hobby too and a full-time job no i love cooking uh, and I love books. You know, you've seen when I podcast from my home, you see some of the books in the background and I collect uh, re- really nice books, some old books from the 1800s as well. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, but uh, cooking is a big one. All right. Casey, what about you? Well, I have a, I have chickens, which are really nice. And, uh, Heck yeah. I, lo- I love them. They're very fun. Excuse to go sit outside for a while and watch them be silly. Um, around. <laughs> very... I don't know, stereotypical. I also watch anime, TV shows. Uh, I also really like researching things on the internet for like six hours and not doing anything else till I get to a point where I'm confident I can do whatever thing I was researching and then never do it. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> that is amazing and very relatable. Sam, what about you? Uh, I own and operate a lot of arcade machines and pinball machines. I spend a lot of time at an arcade in the Bay Area called Free Gold Watch, which uh, we operate something like 20 at a time there. So there's a lot to upkeep and repair. Um, I am an obsessive record collector uh, of certain eras. I probably spend... I don't know. I, I, I have a circuit of three or four record stores I go to multiple times a week. I do a lot of online sourcing of records in the uh, uh, 60s and 70s punk genre, uh, mainly. And then I like, you know, a lot of vintage music. Uh, so they do that. I do a lot of other types of repair and I'm, I'm really interested in tube amplifiers. I do a lot of oh, stuff yeah. with uh, that. I've been in bands for years. I My band's tour a lot we mainly now try to take advantage of, of we, we get invited to play out of the country we're doing some european stuff uh, coming up soon oh, cool. so that's exciting and then i'm also involved in a lot of like local music scene stuff uh, there's a, a festival this summer called mosswood meltdown that i'm on the uh, uh, do a lot of help with and make sure that happens where we get big big stars like iggy pop and uh oh, bikini kill this summer which is really exciting wow. and, and stuff like that so uh, we we do a lot of that and i'm heavily involved there but uh, it's basically infinite hobbies all the way down so uh, <laughs> when i when i uh, it's very relaxing for me to uh, find time to play retro games and new games because it's, it's, it's a busy life here in the bay i love it though i really miss local music i used to be very involved in local music scenes and just like i don't i don't know how to do it anymore oh well <laughs> Um, I said that complaining about video games was my hobby. That's not really my hobby. My hobby is kind of stupid. I go to thrift stores and I try to find treasures and mm-hmm. failing that I just find something interesting. Like I just started collecting 
VHS cassettes for whatever the hell the reason. I love is- art on VHS. I just went to a friend's house who's a bit, bit major VHS pulp collector, and oh. I just looked through so much amazing art. It was incredible. It is really, and I got into this just at the worst possible time because thrift stores are not carrying. They will not accept um, VHS. Yeah, they'll, they'll anyway. throw them away. They'll oh. throw the, yeah, they'll tell you to throw them away. So it's like now, thankfully, it's yard sale season. So I actually yep. got a copy of Close Encounters of the Third Kind that was never opened. And it was $34.95 in whatever, 1984, when it came mm-hmm. out. With inflation, that's like a $90 investment that this person uh, never, ever opened and watched. So... Like my hobby is just collecting really dumb things that annoy my wife. Mm-hmm. Like she was like, "What did you spend seventy dollars on eBay for?" And I was like, "I don't know. That must have been a hacker or something. It's certainly not a set of nine vintage pewter wizards and, and knights <laughs> that they used to sell at Hallmark that I always wanted when I was a kid." So there wow, it is. That's so cool that you can source those. Oh, there's a whole market. Yeah. I am very excited to get those. I, I, I do to... like junk shopping. And Seth, if you're ever out in the Bay Area, I can take you to some of the yes, most please. amazing fleas. Because there's, there's there's not a lot of thrift and antique stores and stuff like that in San Francisco anymore just because of space and stuff like that. So when sure. I go to the Midwest or something like that, that's when I go nuts. Oh, yeah. I, I like to go like to towns that uh, I know there's no colleges nearby because mm-hmm. they have the best stuff because they haven't been picked over. Yeah. And if, especially if they... If there's a lot of pickup trucks that look a little menacing, then the college kids don't <laughs> go there, and then I can I can swoop in in my own. Yeah, the r- r- rural thrift stores are amazing where I yeah. go to. Yep, and they've got great for prices. games too. There's games. I mean, like uh, sometimes I just ask. I'll be like, "Hey, do you have any video games?" I'll be like, "Oh yeah, there's a box," and they'll be behind the counter sometimes. It's like, <laughs> just still like a dollar a piece, you know. Oh my god, that's a pro tip for collectors out there. Yeah, shh, don't don't. Don't let it get out there publicly. Don't let Gary V find out about it. He's going to ruin it for everybody. But anyway, that's all the time mm-hmm. we have left for this week's NVC. Follow us on Twitter at NVC Podcast. Submit your question block questions on the NVC Facebook group. Thank you, Sam. And thank you, Casey, for showing up. Casey, thank you for premiering your new hair on NVC this week. It is absolutely <laughs> amazing. Uh, I want to thank Red on the ones and twos. And most of all, I want to thank you for hanging out with us. Remember, NVC is the only place where you can... Get the thing. thing. Ah, indeed. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.